Hello and welcome to the Bike Karma Podcast. My name is Tom Brown. Happy New Year. I, like many others, travel in different camps of the bicycle world. I might hang out with the Schwing Collectors on one day, then I might go to a cyclocross race the next week. Also, like many other folks, I like collecting and fixing bikes almost as much as I like riding them. So if you are drawn to bicycles and bicycle stories and bicycle-loving folk, then this might be the show for you. Thanks for coming along. Today we'll try and figure out the mystery of why so many older antique photographs from over a century ago contain bicycles. There were less photographs, but proportionally more bicycles in those photographs. And no matter what you collect, you always want to find that one-of-a-kind item. We'll look at somebody who found a bicycle like that. And then more thoughts and reflections and weird observations from the side of the road and trail. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Let's roll out. Thoughts from the side of the road and trail. You can tell that the seasons are changing. When a large truck goes in front of you and you're actually comforted rather than disgusted by the slightly warm exhaust that comes from the back. So for the next segment, I'd like you to think of a time before selfies, a time before social media, a time before everybody had a camera, a time when you might have had one picture of you taken in a year, or even less often. So I know it's hard to imagine, but are you there? Photographs are expensive, and you can only have maybe one picture of yourself a year and it will be printed out. So think of over the course of a whole year, what would you want that picture to look like? What would you want that picture to say about you? What would you wear? Where would you have the picture taken? Would you hold something? Would you want to pretend to be more successful than you are because that was the picture that people were going to see about you? Or would you want the picture to be realistically depicting what life was like for you? One of the great things about the internet is that within seconds you can look at thousands of pictures from the past. You can look into the eyes of people from a century ago. If you're lucky, you can find people from your street, your town, where you grew up. You can see people, places, actions, and items that no longer exist. I like looking at old photographs because it keeps me humble about this gift of a life that we have. To know that it's temporary and that there's been a lot of people who have come and gone before. Sometimes it motivates you to make the most out of the time you have here. But one thing I found really curious was that back in those days when people over a century ago would have a limited chance of taking pictures of themselves or having pictures of themselves taken, they would grab a bicycle and they would pose with a bicycle. And sometimes you'd look closely and you'd realize that the bicycle was a prop. It wasn't even a real riding bicycle. Why were so many people in old pictures taking pictures with bicycles? 
I mean, from where we are in the present, I can understand people take tons of pictures of people with bikes or just their bikes themselves in front of places that they've gone because they don't have a person to take a picture of. They take a picture of their bike next to a statue, their bike next to a landscape, their bike next to something. But the mystery is, why would people over a century ago have a picture taken with a bicycle? What was a bicycle symbolizing back then that we might not fully understand today? So for that, I tracked down an Instagram account that had a lot of really great old pictures, the vast majority of which had people posing with bicycles, and the vast majority of which close to 100 years old. So I know on the show we try and make connections between all types of cyclists in the present, but now we're gonna go over 100 years back to make connections with people who lived over a century ago and why they posed with a bicycle to represent them at that moment in time. They're all very proper, but I think that the bicycle photographs are really the, the magical and beautiful images of that time frame because the bicycle brought out so much emotion of, of freedom and excitement and, and happiness. Okay, so uh, good afternoon. My name is Brian Berkner. I am an avid bicycle enthusiast and junkie. <laughs> I have a great appreciation for history in general, but especially for uh, bicycle history, especially from the turn of the century with a focus on the ability of women being able to learn to ride and having the ability to ride in the early American bicycle culture. And something that I've really grown to appreciate is so many of the classic portraits of people posing with their bicycles and just the varying different views of information that comes from those photographs. You know, in the mid-1890s, uh, the bicycle boom was just starting to begin. The transition from the Victorian era and a lot of the Victorian mindsets of, of being extremely proper and respectful, that sort of thing is just very interesting to see in the transition to the bicycle boom because the bicycle brought about so much information and so much freedom was the big part. You went from being able to uh, have a horse and buggy and that sort of thing that you had to house your horse, you had to make sure that you didn't overtire him and feed him and keep him in good health. But with a bicycle, you had a freedom to go any and everywhere as far as you could on your own energy. But so many of these classic photos that I've grown to appreciate are, there's so many different phases of things that you see. One picture in particular that I love is a photograph of a Victorian woman, or she's all in her Victorian attire, she's outside, and she's posing with her bicycle. So many photographs of that era, um, many of the Victorian people don't tend to smile. You know, they kind of tend to have a smirk or a very solemn appearance to their face. But this woman, she's probably, a, you know, maybe in her 30s, you know, where she looks very stately and very proper, I would say. But I love it because she has, it, you can see that she's trying to hide this smile on her face, but at the same time, you know, trying to be very proper by not showing the smile, but the excitement and the joy that she has for cycling and for that image being taken is just a wonderful sight to see. Seeking and, and finding and examining these photos and, and kind of critiquing them and examining the, the situation, the houses in the background, the type of life that they may have led or where they came from and just there's so much that you can gain from a photograph, you take a little bit of time to examine it. 
the bicycle in that time frame, it just brought so much freedom. And there are so many photos that I've come across where they're very Victorian style, where they're they're looking at the camera, but they're not smiling, or they're kind of looking off into the distance or something like that. But there are a few really great, beautiful photographs that I've found where people are very openly smiling and, and sharing their enthusiasm and their excitement about having that freedom of having a bicycle to go and explore and, and do as they please. My predominant focus is in the 1890s up into the early 1900s because, again, as well, uh, photography was, was very rare in that situation. You know, coming into the 1890s, Kodak had started offering, you know, number one brownies and stuff like that that were more openly available to the public or photography was just kind of in a blooming situation as well because, you know, a lot of photographs from the 1890s and prior you know, it was very rare to have a photograph of yourself or of your family, and a lot of early photographs, unfortunately, people had of, of family members were usually quite often of loved ones who had passed away, um, where they had a, they were lucky enough to have a photograph of that loved one. In this modern day and age, everyone has a camera on them 24-7, whether it's a camera phone or a tablet or a, a real authentic camera, and, and that right. You know, in that time frame, it was very rare to have a photograph of yourself. You know, if you were fortunate enough to go on vacation to, you know, somewhere large where there was a photo booth, you would have a postcard image of yourself with your, your husband or your wife. But a lot of these early photos, some of them are in, a, you know, a photographic setting where it's done as a postcard for someone who is on vacation. But a lot of them were taken by private individuals with their own camera that they then had developed. Cameras were kind of early on and were a, a borderline luxury to say, but not a lot of people had cameras available to themselves in, in the private world. So as opposed to today, we have so many selfies, as many as you want. We go back to the 1950s, 40s, and 30s, and you have photo albums. The further we go back over 100 years, you might have a handful of photos tops of your whole family. And maybe if you were lucky, you might get one update a year. Like you were saying, a lot of those early photographs were of family members. So it's kind of interesting in a way to see that people made it such an important part of their life to say, hey, take a picture of me with my bicycle. Because it's almost kind of in a sense that kind of the way that we are today, hey, take a picture of me with my pet or, you know, hey, take a picture of me with my best friend. So it was kind of interesting to see how important the bicycle was to people of that era to say, oh, we have pictures of our family, you know, oh, we just got a picture of our new grandson hey, let's take a picture of ourselves with our bicycle. So a bicycle back then was still a major luxury item, was it not? It was. And with the advent of the safety bicycle, which is basically the, the style of bicycle that we ride today, they were extremely expensive. The early penny farthings and stuff like that, the people that had those bikes were very well off. You know, they had a lot of money. They could in, enjoy and explore that luxury. But around 1895 and 1896, bicycles became extremely popular. The prices dropped tremendously, and they went from being more of a luxury item to more of a, an item available to the middle-class people so that more people could explore and in, enjoy that freedom. For instance, I have a 1894 Crescent bicycle that was a Scorcher model, which was essentially a, a race version. But in 1894, it cost $90 new. 
which is an extravagant amount of money. You know, ninety dollars in eighteen ninety four terms is the equivalent today of, of twenty five hundred dollars. It was a very expensive bike to have available to you. It's just something that not everyone could afford. So the rich would set the tone of this style of getting their picture taken with the bicycles. And because photography was emerging and becoming more popular at the same time, bicycles were becoming more popular. Were there some people who would go into a, a photographer who would have a picture taken with a bike that wasn't theirs just for the style? I'm absolutely sure that was the situation because if you examine a lot of photographs from the 1890s up into the 1900s, there are a lot of them where they, where they have a set backdrop. A lot of those studio settings, you'll see very similar situations where they have a very similar backdrop and they're either posing with a, a certain type of chair or with some other figural item to, to pose with, where it's not just themselves. So I'm absolutely sure that there are photographic settings like that where they, they had a bicycle for someone to pose with, you know, to show like, hey, you know, I'm a part of this. It may have been a situation where someone lived where cameras were not that openly available and they went on vacation and they're like, you know, I have a bicycle. I love riding my bicycle. I want a picture of myself, you know, from this photographic place with me posing with a bicycle. So that may have not been their bicycle, but they may have had one at home where they were part of that cycling craze. Leading up into the suffragette movement, many of us know Susan B. Anthony in one form or another, either from the coin or from her exploits in the suffragette movement. But she was known for saying that the bicycle did more for women than the suffragette movement did entirely for women. That's very much a true statement. If you, it's, it's extremely fascinating, and I absolutely love the subject of the safety bicycle and women earning that ability to be able to ride and to have that freedom and experience it for themselves. So looking into the idea idea of cycling. Early bicycling was very much aimed towards people who are very well off, wealthy, rich, that sort of thing. As, as time progressed on, its popularity grew and prices dropped, making it more available to everyone in general. It's a very interesting idea because there were the rich and wealthy that felt like maybe cycling was their exclusive thing that they were a part of, but that maybe it wasn't for everyone and maybe it wasn't for women because there was very much this mindset of women are people and they are equal, but they are there are things that they shouldn't do. For instance, women wore a tremendous amount of clothing in the Victorian era. You know, it was very rare for a woman to show anything other than her head. You know, they had, uh, they always wore gloves, especially when they were out and about. They always wore gloves. You never saw legs, ankles, feet, anything like that. It was very rare to see bare hands, and it was very rare to see a bare neck, unless it was particularly warm out or something of that situation, because they usually had chokers and things that, that covered their neck. But with bicycling growing and becoming more popular, there were there were these different misnomers of, of people thinking that cycling could be bad for women, that it could cause sterilization, that it could cause health issues, that it could cause problems with generally, generally being able to birth and produce offspring. At the same time, there were strange ideas that a woman riding a bicycle would be comparative to being hand-in-hand -hand with the devil, which is kind of a strange and interesting way to look at it because there was fear that a woman riding a bicycle could cause simulation concerns. Uh, another interesting idea, I don't know how, one way or another that would vary from riding a 
horse, but a lot of early horse riding women rode side saddle to prevent that situation. And there were actually some early bicycle designs that were designed to be side saddle. Uh, but as you can imagine, is a very precarious way to try and ride and maintain balance and, and that sort of thing. The idea of women riding continued to grow because there were people that were middle class that were married or that sort of thing that were just like, oh my God, honey, I bought a bicycle. I went out and experienced the greatest freedom. I saw this, I saw that. It was beautiful. We need we need you to do this sort of thing. So there are a lot of Victorian era photos of husband and wife posing side by side with their bicycles, you know, out exploring and seeing and doing. And I guess another concern too was with early women riding bicycles is what type of attire could they wear that would grant them the freedom to A, ride and explore bicycling, but B, remain in that very proper, very Victorian manner of dress that did not show anything as to uh, body shape or contour, anything that would make the mind wander as to what that woman may look like under her clothes per se. So then comes the bloomer style of, of clothing that women wore that became very much the cycling suit for women of the time. Now, bloomers are basically glorified pantsuits of the day, per se. And really, it's a very genius idea, you know, because bloomers were basically, they look like a dress, they look like standard Victorian attire, but then when you wanted to ride, you could essentially tie up the lower part of, of each large pant leg, and you essentially had, you know, a pantsuit, more or less. So women could then easily ride. There was no concern of their dresses getting caught uh, in chain, in the wheels, anything like that that would cause an embarrassing situation that may show something that shouldn't be seen. That was really a great leap and bound for women being able to say, hey, you know, I, I should have this, uh, this freedom available to me. I have the, the proper attire and clothing that would grant me that access. Why can't we do it? It's really funny because with pantsuits now, we kind of look at them as a comical 1980s fashion trend, more or less. But at the time, most women of America wore dresses up until the 1950s and 60s. Pants were not a thing for women, really, until the later on 50s and the 70s. So um, if you can kind of focus on, on that reality and then think about women wearing pant-like suits, in the 1890s, a lot of Victorian men saw it as, as improper attire, and I can't believe that women are wearing such a thing, and it's just very, uh, very archaic mindset. But looking at the, the type of life that people lived through the 1850s, 60s, and 70s that would have been in their 20s and 30s in the 1890s, they come from a very, very classic way of life where the American, you know, Industrial Revolution would, may have been in its early setting, so they came from a, a very archaic type of life, so when they saw something like that, they were just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe, you know, women are wearing that, but again, it was still a very proper way of attire because it did not show or devalue women per se by them showing anything that they shouldn't be showing. As the cycle boom happened right around 1895 and 1896, there were a lot of bicycle ads of the period that began to very much appeal directly to women. They were very much targeting women. It's just very interesting and subtle. There were a lot of uh, women's specialty products that were available, like a, a woman-specific cycling seat, a women-specific cycling corset, where a woman could still wear a corset, but still have the freedom to be able to comfortably cycle in that day and age. There are even very funny ads of that time. Like I, I have a uh, image of a uh, ad of a woman who is cycling with her husband or boyfriend or brother or something like that, and she's standing there while her her husband or whatever he is is repairing her tire on the bike. And the ad says that you know in a, in a very 
subtle way that this cycling tire company supports women cycling and supports women having that freedom available to them and having men accept the idea of them doing it. So it was kind of very interesting in a way to see that uh, a lot of the bicycling issues and concerns wrapped around women being able to cycle and if they should and if it'll cause health issues and all of these different things that eventually became widely accepted and that a lot of the bicycle manufacturers started to target women and kind of lead them on and say, hey, you should be doing this. We make this product for you. Come enjoy this. So uh, it was kind of interesting to see that there was a focus towards drawing women in and specifically targeting them in the cycling boom. There's a lot of interesting information from that time because even early on with cycling, there was a great deal of concern that cycling caused poor health in general for everyone, that it would cause irreparable curving to the spine, that it would cause uh, other varying health issues that very much seem like quack science today, you know, like I can't believe people actually believe that, but it's just very interesting to see some of the ideas that people had on cycling in general, and then these rich men had the opportunity to say, oh, this is great, this is, this is fantastic, and then, you know, eventually to bring it to the wide masses of the middle class people to experience and see. But another great thing that the bicycle did beyond giving women that experience and that freedom and, and that right to fight and earn bicycle riding is it very much changed dating in general. Because you have to think, you know, dating in the 1890s into the 1900s, how would you go and see the woman that you're interested in or your sweetheart? You know, you would either walk to her house, you would either ride a horse and buggy to her house. And the horse and buggy you would maybe be lucky to get because if you're fortunate enough to have a horse and buggy, it was usually for moving product or crop or on the farm or something like that, a very utilitarian method where you would be lucky to be able to get the horse and buggy to go and see her. But then they started making bicycles. But not everyone, you know, if, if you were a young man of the 1890s, you may not have two bicycles available to you to go and take over to your sweetheart's house to go out bicycle riding. So there were a lot of interesting designs on tandem bicycles, and there were even courting bicycles for courting women where you would sit side by side. So you would be on one side of the bicycle, and on the other side, right beside you, you could have your sweetheart with you where you're riding together, you can see each other, you can look at each other, you can talk and ask questions and engage in an atmosphere outside of being at her house where you would have to try and get to know her and talk to her, but then remain very proper and key being around her family. So that's another interesting aspect is that it, bicycling, early bicycling, very much had a, a interesting aspect on the dating world because you could take her outside of her home and you could go and explore and see things and, you know, build a bond and a, and a friendship and a relationship and just see things outside of the home versus trying to go to her home and try and think of creative and witty things to say. And again, you know, appease her family and appear very proper and stern to her family as well. So that's another great aspect of cycling was just the, the changes that it made in dating. And there was even a song made in, I believe, 1897. It's called um, Davy, and it's Davy. Baby, bicycle built for two. And the song is literally nothing about this woman named Daisy riding a bicycle built for two, which is a tandem, and dating one another and going and seeing and doing. So that's a great song, and that's something that you can look up on YouTube and hear and listen, and, and it's very interesting to, to hear and engage with the lyrics on that song as well.
Well, unfortunately, a lot of the pictures that I find are not labeled, or if they are labeled, it's usually a uh, usually a time or place. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that. A lot of those pictures that I find, it would be great if they said, you know, oh, this is my aunt such and such from such and such town. But unfortunately, a lot of the images that I find are not labeled in that sort of way. A lot of the images that I find, I, I do a great deal of personal research just because it's it's something that I'm very passionate about, and uh, I just I search online. I often happen across just interesting images from doing various searches. Some images I find in old newspapers from looking through um, various old newspaper ads online. A lot of images I find as well on uh, eBay and that sort of thing is also a very good resource to find images. And probably about half of the images that I've I've shared are images that I've, I've found in person. Uh, going to various uh, antique stores, thrift shops, and that sort of thing. Because, again, you know, usually when I go antiquing or that sort of thing, my, my primary focus is on anything bicycle-related or images and that sort of thing. Some of them I do find in person. And, like I said, some of them are fortunate enough to, to have a, a date and a location. But some of the photographic images that I have that are from, like, a photo studio, they typically have the name of the studio, uh, the address of the studio, and the location of the studio, which is kind of need to be able to research, but as you can imagine, you know, more than 100 plus years later, the location of those studios are, are typically gone uh, due to, you know, new construction, and, and they're certainly no longer in business. Probably one of one of the most unique pictures that I've found is the first one that comes to mind is a it is a blue wash photograph. So a lot of the photographs of that era are black and white, uh, which is very typical, very standard. But there are some images that were actually blue washed instead of black washed, so they're white and blue. So it's a very unique color look. But what's so great about that picture is the the, the staging of the photograph. So in the in the lower corner of the image is a young man sitting on his bicycle leaning against it in a, in a very improper way for Victorian era. You know, he's hanging loose, having a good time. You know, he's probably a man or young man of 16 or 17. Dressed in fair enough attire, but you can tell that he's, you know, middle class to lower class working kid, that, that he's maybe a messenger or he uses his bike to get back and forth to work or whatever that may be. But he's hanging loose, he's leaning on his bike, very improper for the time. There's some beautiful Victorian age houses behind him. It looks like he's in a, a, a grassy park area where there's some trees and such. But what's so great is that he just has the biggest smile on his face. And, you know, Victorian smiles, if you're lucky enough to get one, it's usually closed mouth with a little curve on, on either side of your smile type of thing. But this guy, he's got his mouth wide open. He's got a huge smile on his face. He almost looks like he's laughing, but not. His eyes are opened all the way. Just the, the colors of the image, the, the, the varying blues and white, and the, the layout of the photo. It's just very unusual to see a photo of the era where he just has such a big grin and he's hanging loose per se, so instead of being, you know, very proper attire, very uh, proper, excuse me, very, you know, standing up very proper, appearing just very stern, like a lot of the Victorian images are, because so many of the images that I have are usually of someone standing, you know, very, very straight up and down, very calm, their hands posed in such a way, they have, you know, either a very subtle smile or a very stern, but uh, respectful appearance and look. So it was very interesting to see this image where it's just this young gentleman that is just hanging loose, 
having a good time, showing you, you know, hey, I'm having such a great day. I just heard the best joke, or I just had the best bicycle ride, or I just got the best news in the world, and I am living a great life right now in this second in the 1890s. I love that there's such an appreciation now for old photos because now with the way photography is, there's so many different ways to manipulate images and, and to get and obtain an image in such a way. So many images of the Victorian era are very much like a photographic studio where, you know, it's some sort of a backdrop. There's someone kind of halfway standing there with a bike, standing very proper and straight up and down. And they kind of either have, you know, a very stern look or a very subtle smile. So I really like to see the Victorian era photos where they're, uh, they have a very interesting background. They have a very interesting and different layout. And especially any of those images that show uh, sort of a loose Victorian person where they're not in that, that stern mindset of being proper and respectful and all of these sort of things. And I've found some great photos that are like that. And I think that looking, I look at a great deal of Victorian photos because there's, even though to some people they can be very, uh, very simple and bland, there's so much information if you, if you study and examine each aspect of the image that you can draw conclusions of or you can pull information from and recognize what the time frame was, what type of person that person was, whether they were a young woman or a mother or sister or something like that and there's so much information that can be drawn from an image if you can sit and, and just kind of study it and look at and think openly about what the image is saying and what it is showing but I just think that so many of its Victorian era photographs they're all very proper but I think that the bicycling photographs are really the, the magical and beautiful images of that time frame because the bicycle brought out so much emotion of, of freedom and excitement and, and happiness because I mean imagine a Saturday morning or Saturday in the Victorian era there's no Saturday morning cartoons there's no you know going into the movies there's no going and exploring or, you know, there's, there was not a lot to do. Saturday was certainly a, a day of rest because Sunday would have been, you know, a church day sort of thing and a, and a day of worship. But, but Saturday was, was your day off. You know, what are you going to do on your day off? You may not work, but you may do um, laundry and dishes, and you're, you're definitely going to be cooking food that day. You're definitely going to be doing some cleaning that day. But there were no big luxury things to do, you know, for a lot of people of that time frame. Going into town to, to get products that they need for their home were, were, were a luxury and a joy, like, oh, it's Saturday, I'm going to be riding in town to buy such and such from the grocery. But, ooh, can I go with you type of thing on a Saturday in the Victorian era? There was not a lot to do. So having a bicycle or I got the kids up this morning, I, I fed them breakfast, you know, my husband is good today. I can go for a bicycle ride for an hour or so and come back. And they had the freedom to go out and explore and see just different visions or to go and visit a friend. Hey, yeah, I just got done, you know, doing whatever with my family. What are you up to today, Miss Chrissy? And to have that freedom to go and even expand their communication and their friendships with people that may not be that directly close to them. I love those Victorian era images with bicycles because I feel like the bicycle movement and people having bicycles really brought out that excitement and freedom and happiness in people that was often that was not so often seen in those Victorian images where people were just very stern faced and, and just very proper. That is it. Those themes, those feelings, they still run universally through whatever bike 
and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the whole point of the show is to try and make connections between all these different types of riders out there no matter what type of bike you're riding whether it's your first time on in 30 years or you downhill race every weekend there are some mm -hmm. things that make humans no matter what you're like there's some things that humans have in common and if you are a bike riding human there are some parts of our humanity that just smile with that freedom and that exploration and that gliding no matter what type of terrain it's over no matter what style of bike there is a, a universal smile almost that happens to people and it's funny that that smile is the thing that strikes you as the thing that creeps through the Victorian restraint is that these people can't help but smile when they're getting a picture taken with a bicycle so that's great so many people these days take pictures of just their bikes leaning up against things you know there's a facebook yeah. group with thousands of people that's just my bike leaning against things is the name of the group yeah so <laughs> do you have any old-timey shots of just the bike without the person did that happen i would think it would have been restrictive but have you seen that that um that has there are images that are like that but it is it's a little bit different of a contact so usually if i find an image of a bicycle without a person posing with it it is usually is usually an image of someone taking a picture of, of either A, representing the type of wealth that they had, or capturing the wealth that they had, or B, capturing what they had ascertained after hard work and, you know, determination and that sort of thing. And what I mean by that is, is typically if I see a bicycle on its own without someone posing with it, it's usually someone who took a picture of their home or a picture of their work with the bicycle leaning against it or the bicycle in the foreground leaning against a tree in the front yard or that sort of thing. So that's also another interesting aspect of Victorian era photos because I do have some some photos from that era where people actually I'm, I'm really great i'm really happy that you that you brought that up there are some photos from that era where people actually took pictures of their victorian era homes where they had a, a nice little white victorian home with a gingerbread on it and everything with a, a white painted fence kind of like the american dream but they have pictures of their family in front of their home with their bicycles leaning against the fence in front of them in front of their home where someone then took a picture of them showing and representing this is my home this is my family this is what brings me joy so it's showing that their family brings them joy that their home life and their home brings them joy and that most importantly and amazingly that the bicycles that they owned and had brought them joy because they did not take pictures of their horse and cart they did not take pictures of them catching a train. They did not take pictures of any other mode of transportation they may have had available to them. They took pictures of the things that brought them joy in their life, their family, their home, and their bicycles. So that is, I love finding images like that. And as rare as they sound in me talking about them, they're not that rare in reality. There are several that I've come across that are like that. And it's so fascinating to see the types of homes that these people had because, you know, they may have been middle class or they may have been wealthy. But the great thing is, is most of those images that are like that are like average Joe, middle class people that, you know, this is the house that we've earned. This is the life that we've built. This is the freedom and this is the luxury that we could afford ourselves in this lifetime. And this is the pinnacle of our life right now in this second, our home, 
our family, our newborn children, and these bicycles. If you have a limited number of pictures, you're going to try and fit as much into that one picture as you can. So yeah, I could see, I could see how what was going through their heads while they were setting that shot up. If people want to see your pictures, where would they go? Uh, the easiest way to see my pictures is to go to my Instagram page. And my Instagram page is Carrot Snacks. It's C-A-R-R-O-T-S-N-A-X-X. Basically, uh, this kind of started off, I've always been a bicycle geek and fan. Um, I started collecting bicycles when I was about 13. And I just kind of developed a love for bicycles because uh, my mom grew up in the 1960s and she had a lot of the Stingray bikes and that sort of thing. And I just kind of developed a love for that era in time. And as I've gotten progressively older, I've collected older and older and older bicycles. People, a lot of my friends, you know, they kind of grew up, they got into cars and families and that sort of thing. And and that's all fine and great, but I've always uh, cherished and appreciated bicycling and, and definitely history. So a lot of the images that I find and collect, um, I don't really have a good venue to share them for other than on Instagram. And uh, it's really been a great and positive turnout sharing them there on Instagram because I've been finding more and more people that want to follow me. And But more importantly, they, they appreciate the images and seeing all these different ways of, of life and aspects of time. And it's just really been fantastic to, to see such a great and appreciative group of people continually start to trickle in and, and just see these images and read the information that I've posted about those images to kind of gain a further understanding on why certain images are important in certain ways. If somebody's listening to this and they say to themselves, oh, we have an old family album or we have an old family photograph of one, would you want them to send a scan of that to you on email? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, I would love to see any old images that someone may have like that. It's so great to see all these different images and even someone who may have an old photograph like that, if they send it to me, I may be able to look at it and give them a little bit more information, maybe on, on the type of bike that it is, or maybe the, the time frame that it's from, or or maybe understand, you know, the, the type of clothing that maybe your family, that your family member was wearing, or the type of jewelry that they had on, or anything that may have been rather opulent or luxury, or just different, or keynotes in history, that may give that owner of that image a little bit more information on their previous family member. So that'd be awesome for both of you. They find a little bit more about their picture. You get to have another image to add to your collection. What would be a good email for them to, to email you? Uh, the best email to contact me at would be carrotsnax. That'd be C-A-R-R-O-T-S-N-A-X. And that'll be at msn.com. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing these stories. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tom. It's been it's been great talking with you, and I'm so glad that I could actually um, kind of vent my, my passion and, and lust for uh, cycling history and that sort of thing through your show. So I definitely appreciate it. And you are not alone, and that's the cool part of <laughs> the podcast is you find out that there's a bunch of people out there who think those pictures that you put up are wicked cool. Well, awesome, man. Well, I hope that they find their way to my page and, and can see and follow and see just all of this great history. Take care. All right. Thank you, Tom.
this is your first time listening to Bike Karma, thanks a lot for coming along for the ride. Brief explanation is we are kind of like the breakfast club of bicycle podcast. We've got different types of people from different camps coming together to just hear stories about what brings us together as bicycle loving folk. So just like in the movie The Breakfast Club where the popular kid, the jock, the outsider, and the nerd come together on a Saturday and learn all kinds of things about each other by pushing boundaries and growing, that's what this show is intended to be. We got enough things in life that are trying to tell us how separate we are and how we're in little groups, but there's a universality that says people who love bicycles have certain DNA inside of them that's 99.9% .9 the same. If you want to focus on the little 0.01%, then that's a different show. Let's look at what pulls us together. A cyclist riding a $5,000 carbon bike can look down at their handlebars and think of what it was like to be in the Tour de France number two. In their imagination, they can see their carbon turn into steel and see them having to do all of their own roadside repairs in an age before bicycles were even really fully understood by the common populace. A mechanic working on a brand new electronic shifting system can look back into the times where people we're stuck with one gear and we're trying to imagine how to change gears so that you can go up a hill easier and go down a hill faster. An artist with a passing interest in bicycles might be able to sympathize with those bicycle builders who get a single part and it just preoccupies them until they're able to figure out how to build that up into an entire rideable bicycle. The daily commuter who sometimes with their friends might mock the spandex clad folks might see themselves and be like occasionally they might feel in their deepest, darkest heart. I want to break the record on this Strava segment. I want to be the king of the mountain. The roadie sick of inside trainers during the winter might look over at the fat bikes in the bike store when they're purchasing their trainer and be like, should I get that fat bike? Can I do it? Can I make it through the winter? Can I ride my bike outside when it's in the single digits? So yes, this show will challenge you, giving you stories from outside of your wheelhouse, but that's, as we know, is an opportunity to grow, just like in the movie The Breakfast Club. We are all more than our archetypes. So thank you for trying trusting me to curate all kinds of stories and perspectives from literally anywhere in the bicycle world, from literally any time since bicycles were invented. This is your chance to break out into other camps of bicycle-loving folks and to make new connections and learn new things. I am amazed that we have been downloaded in all 50 states and over 50 countries, and we're almost up to 10,000 downloads. So if you want to be a best friend of the show, please share or leave a review. The show is a commercial free labor of love, but I'm still open to new ideas and feedback, so you can always contact me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. Thanks for coming along for the ride. So one of the things about biking in winter is that in the snow you kind of see your tracks on the way out and on the way back or if you were doing loops and when you follow them back you're like who is this drunk guy who was like going like all over the place but on the way out you felt like you were going in a real straight line. What's up with that?
So Chris works at Sunshine Cycle and Run in Colchester, Connecticut. It's a nice little shop. Looks like it used to be a train station and it's right at the end of a rails to trail spur that connects to the East Coast Greenway. Inside, when you walk into the store, you see hanging on the wall is a large penny farthing bike that's been overpainted white. But Chris told me about a more interesting find. It's pretty cool. I uh, had a customer that came in once that had a cleaning out an old garage. It was a heated garage. They basically just wanted the cars that were stuck in there. And there was a Thunderbird and an old Corvette. And the guy passed away. He was like 98 years old. And he came in and he asked me if I wanted a bicycle that, we, that he had. And I was like, well, whatever. Let's take a look at it. And it turned out being... So yeah, it's at this point that a truck drives by and totally messes up the recording. As they do. But it's worth listening to what happens next because Chris finds a bike that's not just a good find, it's an amazing find. In fact, it's a one-of-a-kind find. Hi, I'm Chris Hogan and I work at Sunshine Cycle Works and Run here in Colchester, Connecticut. He came in, my friend Terry came in with a bike because he had worked at the bike store forever and known him. And he was salvaging the place out and they pretty much wanted to keep all the cars and just get rid of, literally just chuck everything else. So he's like, ah, give me $25 for this bike. So it actually turned out being a bike from 1895. And so pretty old school. So I had the old skip chain. So it was skip tooth chain. So the teeth are really far apart on it. So I did a little research on it. So this is a safety bike, two same size wheels. Yeah, two same size wheels. Okay. And so it was, it was like kind of during the transition time of going from the Velocity to over to the two wheel style bike. It built very heavy, heavy duty. So kind of like the old cars from the 30s and 40s, the fenders, like you can take them, try to flex them, they don't flex at all. Just mm -hmm. everything was heavy, heavy steel. I did a little research on the bike and it was the Westfield Bike Company. I actually bought this company at, um, called Miami Bikes, which was actually out of, I believe, Chicago. Brought him back over to Massachusetts, did one production run, and it turned out there was a fire the next year, destroyed the building completely, and they kind of folded that and then opened, reopened up as Columbia, as everybody knows it today. Talked to the guy from America Picker, sent him pictures over about it and everything, and tried to find out what the bike was worth and if there was any call for it. And he said, yeah, it's, it's worth a lot, but only to somebody in the right eyes, because it, like when you saw a house, there's no comparable. So there's no more, nobody knows of any of these bikes ever out there. So it's kind of cool because you have a one of a kind piece of history, but what can you do with it? So I mean, eventually I'll probably end up giving it to like the Smithsonian or something because it is a part of US history. But like the leather saddle is still all soft and supple. It's not rotted and dusted, you know, turned to dust like most of them. So it was the only one of that kind that he'd ever seen? That he's ever seen, yeah. Wow. But like I said, right now it's uh, sitting in an empty room, uh, empty part of my house, and it's kind of like a wall art, and it serves its purpose for me. I walk by it every day, check it out. Like I said, eventually I'll end up probably just handing over the Smithsonian and let them finish restoring it, which it doesn't really need much at all. I mean, it's, it's very, very clean. Everything's still intact to it. Have you ever ridden it? No, because there's actually two broken spokes in back, and the tires are the original tires. But they're dry rotted pretty bad, so I don't want to get rid of the original tires. Do you ever have dreams where you're at it? No. Yeah, you know, it's super uncomfortable, super impractical. Mm -hmm. Kind of like riding one of those, yep. you know, the big wheel bikes. Um, yeah, it would be cool to, to take it around, but I mean, it's such a big gear on the front of it that if you were to ride it, it would have to be like on a flat. You know, you'd have to look down by the beach. Definitely not middle Connecticut, rolling hills. 
you do a lot of walking like you see in the old pictures of people on bikes like that where you either see them riding it in the flats or downhills or walking but uh like i said it was a cool 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 bike to come across i haven't seen anything like it and it's kind of cool seeing the bike that we have hanging on the wall and noticed we really looked at at that and it was about 10 year difference between the two bikes and they're totally different totally opposite like you can see how the reason why the two wheel the two normal same size wheels took over because it's just you look at that thing and how practical that is to ride. That's almost impractical. And then you look at these and a lot more versatile of a bike. And it's it's amazing. Bikes have been around over 100 years. And just to see how much they've progressed. And even over the last 10, 15 years, look at mountain bikes. Mountain bikes have only been around 20 years. And look how much those are different now compared to day one. And even to this day, they're still messing around with the rake of the fork, the length of the top tube, how short the stem should be or how long the stem should be. Now you see the pros going back to flipped stems that are really down on mountain bikes seats that are tilted really far forward so a lot has changed and it's still continuing wheel sizes still evolving over the last couple of years 26 29 27 and a half so it's they're all over the place so it's bikes been around a long time and they stayed pretty much the same for flat for many many years you know for almost a good 60 years they're pretty much the same they got fancy put lights in put fuel tanks on them and you know had little little differences and made them more streamlined looking during the 60s but it's, uh, it's really cool to see over the last few years how everything's really just really changed. Even look at road bikes this last, last couple of years with Specialized, what they did, putting the future shock on it, the seat post that flex, when it disc brakes, electric shifting. So everything is, technology age is really changing everything at a really fast pace. When you, when you take a look at the basic design though, I taught a uh, bicycle class mm -hmm. this last month or so. I took my 1890s Ivor Johnson That's cool. that I picked up at a swap That's meet. Cool. I put it next to a Westfield Columbia from the 60s and then we put it next to another bike from the 80s and just the, the similarities it's just like they're all it's like a family tree looking at them next to each other so even when you've got a modern bike like the one you've got up on the stand and the fat tires it's just the next incarnation well, it's just of like that picture of evolution of the the ape to the human still on two feet still got arms they're still ahead still got that basic double triangle going little little things change over time got a lot of fat bikes here. I imagine they're pretty popular with staying on the trail. So, you're yeah. right off of, you're on the Colchester Spur of the Airline Trail, yes. which was one of the first really good greenways in Connecticut. Yeah. And now that sucker's hooked up to the East Coast Greenway in Willimantic. Yeah. And that is continuing progress to be eventually Maine to Florida, which is awesome. So you guys will eventually be connected to Maine to Florida. Yeah. But in the winter, it's nice and flat. And if you got the fat bike tires you can go out on it yeah the nice thing is if you get what we really rely on is you get the cross-country skiers out there pat it down and make it all flat and make it so it's really easy to go ride on or unless you have the powder really thick powder snow you can easily ride on it it's just unfortunately here in Connecticut we uh, tend to get a lot of powder snow and two weeks later you get a rainstorm on top of it and then it creates that ice barrier so until it gets packed down again but having that is yeah that's a perfect example people can still get out during the winter time where most people put their bikes away so it is nice to have fat, fat tire bikes around it allows you to bike all year long exactly it's now a four season sport for me yeah which is i awesome. never like the trainers the yeah. indoor trainers hate anyway them. <laughs> hate them. no matter what they do to them and whatever screen they put in front of you or whatever you know you watch to try to pass the time it's never the same as getting out and actually going a quarter of the mileage outside during the winter is worth Ex eight hours on the train exactly. to me psychologically exactly So if people want to come check out the bike on the wall, what, what kind of bike is it again? 
I have no idea to tell you the truth. Um, Maybe one of the wheelmen or a high wheel collector can help identify this. I'll put pictures up on the website. There's no name on it. It's we, a penny farthing. It's got no head badge. Yeah. And uh, it looks like it was spray painted once over, but it's uh, it's all there except for the tires because I just can't find tires for that one anymore. It's just not available. But it's uh, like I said, it's, it's all there. You get an idea. There's a peg on the back that you got to kind of get rolling with it. Then hit the, like, put your foot on the peg and then kind of like jump up onto it. And it's uh, it, it's hard to tell when it's on the wall, but when you have it on the ground and you see how huge this thing is next to you. And uh, the guy that had it said he rode it and tried it out and on the grass, and he said it wasn't as bad as what you would you would think. And I'll take his word for it. I mean, it's their direct drive, so it's it's their it's different to ride. All right, if people want to come check that out and check out your other stuff, uh, you're right at the end of a nice trail. So if they, they can come for a it. ride, make a day out of it. Absolutely. Where are you located? We are at 187 Lebanon Ave in Colchester. Sunshine Cycle Works and Run here in Colchester, Connecticut. Awesome, dude. That's so cool. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Bike Karma. I'd like to thank Keller Glass from the band Mobjack, Mobjack Music, for our opening and closing theme music. I'd like to thank Chris Hogan from Sunshine Cycle and Run. I'd like to thank Brian Berkner of Carrot Snacks for talking about all of those antique photographs. For following and leaving reviews, I'd like to thank Raymond Yo, BH, Have Bike Will Travel. Check them out on Twitter. Tai Duong649, Jamie Chalistel, and Ride79 Gambone. I'd also like to send a special shout out to Classic Dropouts on Instagram. Thank you very much, Brian Paxton. He helped me to get my white whale of a part, a three pulley rear derailleur. Also like to thank the people patiently waiting in line in the queue for interviews and for people with story ideas. You can email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com if you have any comments or suggestions. The Bike Karma podcast and the logo, drawn by my daughter, are the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. Copyright, trademark, and all other rights are asserted and reserved. If you're in a part of the world where it's still warm enough to ride comfortably, enjoy that time. And if you're in my hemisphere, bundle up. Till next time, take care and keep it wheel. Like these that I